Hello, and welcome back once again to the Three-Tiered Eye. It's been a long break. One might say it's been four months. I'll be honest, I was having a little bit of burnout from a combination of a lot of things, but I'm ready to get back into it, and I'm as excited as ever, so let's not waste any time and just jump right back in. Chapter 23 Falling Through Space was a short-lived, jarring adventure. Plummeting through the atmosphere, flames licked at the metal and tempered glass as the pod pushed through entry. As the shuttle quaked, Jenna clutched to his hand, his real hand, while she shivered against the pain of her arm. Bo did all he could to comfort her, and, to his deepest gratitude, so did Hess, who had wrapped the scarf around the Darius's neck once more. Breaking into the atmosphere, Chek struggled to keep the course steady as they plunged toward the fluff of white clouds that pleasantly sailed over the rosy oceans. Islands large and small dotted the water below, the frothing waves swirling beneath them. During their rocky descent, the man strained to recall what he could of the world. He knew La Shada was primarily uninhabited. No official colonies settled on any of the many islands. It had a relatively hostile environment between the unforgiving winds and the perilous jungles. It was easy to pass by the planet. The world was on the fringes of the Kana Empire, bordering the Demur Empire space and the Earth Colonial Front. Because of its relatively remote location, it received little traffic used as a smuggler's checkpoint or for game hunters tracking the enormous gliding reptiles that were native to the planet. Even out of the viewports, he could make out the local creatures, twice as big as the shuttle, drifting on the fierce winds across the expanse of water. Limbs like tree trunks spread against the wind as the sagging, scaly skin carried the reptiles from island to island. Eight kilometers to the source of the signal, Clint called out. As their altitude decreased, so did Chek's ability to steer against the turbulence. Clint grabbed the pilot's yoke with the Kana, and together they fought to keep it on track. Can you pinpoint where the descent signal is coming from? Bo asked. The young man took a moment to tack away at the console and shook his head. No, but it'll be on any landmass big enough for a colony. Looking through the front screen were at least a dozen islands, and of those, two of them looked like they would be likely candidates. Scanning the horizon, he spotted something spectacular. Far off into the distance, Kos Kirst was crashing toward the planet's surface, breaking apart into fiery pieces. Watching the station with fascination, he noticed that under the scene was a blatant irregularity in the tree line of one of the islands. Extending a finger, he pointed this out, asking, the trees seem to be less dense there. Do you think the Dessen might be there? Peering at it, Quint shrugged. Dessen colonies are primarily underground, and the tunnels spread for miles, the young man stated as he replaced his mask with a snap. If there is a clearing in the trees, it'll probably be for the small spaceport, but there would be no way to get there from the surface. Hoping it to be true, Bo leaned into the seat as Keck announced for the group to brace themselves. Drifting in about a hundred meters from the surface, they were fortunate to be making a water landing close to a shore. Even more fortunate was the fact that the shore would be the island he had signaled out. Gripping to their seats, they prepared themselves for the impact against the pink water, Jenna holding on even tighter to him. With a forceful crash, they skimmed the waves, bounding back into the air before coming back down, skipping like this twice more. Hitting a button, Quint deployed flotation buoys on the pod, keeping the craft from being consumed by the ocean. 
Waves and winds set them drifting to the white sanded shore, the beach lined with massive, broad flora. Green leaves formed an opaque wall of vegetation, hardly any sunlight shining through the few gaps. Using the sporadic bursts from the engines, Chuck was able to beach the escape pod and began to match the pressure. Lifting his daughter up tenderly from her seat, Bill held the small Daros as the others prepared to venture out. Leaning her head into his chest plate, Jenna's horn scratched noisily against his armor. Shortly after he replaced the black helmet he looted, the pressurization was complete. The alien soldier put a talon on the hatch, looking over at the party. Dessen are here, and we will find them, he said. Stay close, do not separate. With that, the Kano pushed the hatch of the vessel open, the wind ripping it from his hand. Collectively, they stumbled as the gale sucked at them, however, they kept their footing. Jumping out with the grounding support of Ovenus, Bo splashed down into knee-deep brine. Behind him, he could hear the floundering sloshes as the others leaped from the hatch after him. Leaning against the wind, they struggled toward the small beach, sand clinging to their wet legs. The shore was only a few meters long, and the way the waves lashed against it indicated that it was high tide. Pushing through the man-sized leaves, they took shelter, the wind almost dying off at once along with most of the shining rays of sunlight. Resting against a wide trunk, Bo became aware of just how exhausted he really was. His legs and left arm felt like stone. All the adrenaline rushes, fighting and running were taking a toll on his body. How far to where the signal's broadcasting? he asked warily. Well, it should be about two kilometers, Quint said heavily as he caught his breath. Bo was surprised the scraggly boy wasn't blown away on the beach. Quint and Chek led the way using their rifles to push vines as thick as their arms. Sweat was beginning to leak from Jenna's face, and though he could not feel it in his climate-controlled armor, he knew the air in the jungle must be stifling. Unwrapping the scarf, he wiped her forehead, worry whirring away at him as she stirred slightly. The cast had saved her for the moment, but it couldn't change the amount of blood she had lost or the shock she endured. Her metabolism as well worked against her. Bo figured that if the injury hadn't put her in his arms, faintness from hunger would have. The Daros was weakening drastically. He cranked up his pace. It was slow going through the foliage. The plant life seemed to be resisting them at every turn. The environment was infuriating, forcing them to squeeze through sluggishly. Overhead, shining emerald beetles as large as Jenna crawled, sucking the fluids from the titanic trees that covered the island, the buzz of their wings ever-present. Occasionally, the thunderous rustle of the gliding lizards landing to snack on the bugs echoed above, their entrance through the canopy opening the jungle floor to the fierce gusts. Those things won't have any interest in us, will they? Bo called ahead as the most recent reptile had its fill. Unlikely. Gruba are main food. Agulons will not bother, Chek answered. Impressed with the Kana's knowledge of ecology, he promised himself to brush up on the exotic life that filled the galaxy. It was probably best to know these kinds of things. Time moved almost as languidly as their speed. It was doing little to help the impatience and anxiety festering on the fringes of Bo's mind. Do you know if we are any closer? he asked aloud. Shek raised a claw to halt, the orange plate of his helmet facing up. Tilting his head skyward, Bo searched for what the Kana possibly could have spotted. After several seconds of staring, he almost gave up as six long, segmented forms unfurled from the trees above. Dropping down to the ground, he recognized them as Dessen, the species with which the Kana waged war. 
The insectoid aliens hailed from the planet Besh, the twin planet of Kana. Bo knew little of the politics, however. He knew the conflict began when the Desen wished to break away and become independent. Fiercely proud, the Kana didn't take well to any loss to their empire and began at once to suppress the neighboring separatists. Lengthy, chitin-covered bodies swayed, supported by three sets of legs on each end of their carapace. Large mandibles clicked and clattered under bulbous, unblinking compound eyes. In their hands, they carried energy rifles, as well as a small round device each. Waving their antenna through the air, the Desen spoke to one another through their clattering. Wishing he could decipher their words, he recalled that along with the clattering, the insectoids were filling the air with pheromones to dictate their tone. Unable to detect the subtle sense as a human, let alone through his helmet, he kept an eye on the Hess whose sense of smell far outmatched his own. To his relief, her body language was relaxed, and she was regarding the newcomers with interest. Chattering ceasing, the Desen used a pair of legs to keep their aim and the other two pairs to rub three-fingered hands over the surface of the metallic orbs they carried. Working the fingers over the surface, a ringing, lifeless voice emitted from the silvery shell. Greetings, warm bloods. We saw the destruction of the Kana space station and observed you as you crashed. Are you responsible? Yes, we destroyed Koskurst, Bo told them. Antennae wiggling and chittering continued, and the bugs deliberated once more. One gestured toward Czech, the glossy brown shell creaking with the movement. You are Kana and wear the armor of your empire, yet you walk with those who deal blows to our enemy. Why? they asked. Czech looked between the Desen, the visor of his helmet hiding any conflict the soldier felt. After a few moments, the Kana gripped at his chest, pulling away the rank markings and the symbol of his empire. I serve no empire, he called, his voice as hard as steel as he threw the metallic clips to the dirt. The strange aliens exchanged with each other excitedly. You have destroyed a Kana Imperial station. We give trust to you. For now, though this can easily change, come with us. We see you have injured, the bug said. Beckoning the hunters, the large aliens crawled along the ground, weaving with ease through the brush. With no time to waste, the group trooped along after. Thank you for once again joining me for another episode of A Three-Tiered Eye. Metanoia, as well as the theme song of the podcast, are both written by me. And it is so good to be back. It has been so long, you could even say it's been since the beginning of October, and it's now the beginning of February, so long. And if anyone can tell you that, it's my voice, because I think I might have lost it a little. But I'm excited to be back. Uh, I just, I needed a break. There was a lot going on between work and recording two podcasts and writing, because I have a full-time job and just balancing that with all this, it gets to be a little much and I needed a moment to step back and kind of put myself back together like a big pile of Legos. If you're interested in more of my work, you can go to pain-sylvan.squarespace.com where you can find links to buy my other work on Amazon, but not the music. That's, that's not something I really do normally, but the writing is totally uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at 3 tiered Eye, where you'll get some regular updates to podcasts and other things that are going on. And you can also check out The Bird Room, which is a more 
vulgar podcast that I do with two of my friends and we're kind of on a also break on that because one of us thought he had to go overseas to France but he will be back very soon uh, near the end of February and we'll be picking that back up now for the future of this podcast uh, nothing changes I'm just back I just had to take a break as I've said like three times now and I will be uploading again regularly I know I said that in the last episode, but that was before I realized, oof, your boy's tired. So I'm back now, and I'll get this book done because we are very, very close to ending. It is only about seven more chapters until the end of Metanoia. So that is very exciting. I already have the next book of mine that I'm going to read, which will be Toad, the first Toad book. Toad in the Glass Eye, and that's just a shorter book to read in between getting things prepared for the next big novel. So I'm very excited for what's to come. I'm ready to get back into it, and I'm very excited. So thank you again for listening, and all I can say is the future is looking bright.